Hi, and welcome to the wonderful world of Disney Villains Podcast. I'm your host, Katie, ready to talk about everything Disney. Welcome back for another episode. Today we are talking about something that I've personally never heard anyone else discuss regarding Disney before, and that is adoption, parent-child family tropes, and Disney's theme of leading characters back to their birth family, or the family who gave birth to them. So this will be a two-part episode, as many Disney movies, and just movies in general, typically involve some kind of adoption narrative. Part one, this episode, will be discussing two Disney movies in depth and discussing their adoption and family arcs. Those movies are Lilo and Stitch and Tangled. Part two, which will be the next episode, will be talking about adoption narratives in cinema and the popular trope of protagonists being adopted, orphaned, and or discovering they have a secret birth story and more. I am joined by guest Lauren for both part one and part two. Lauren and I are both adopted and we literally could not stop talking about this topic. Uh, We were talking for almost three hours about this and we didn't even touch on everything. And so the important question for you all, I'm sure, is why are we talking about this? To me, we're talking about this because adoption narratives are so popular in media. Superheroes, princesses, princes, wizards, so many characters have adoption narratives, and we don't talk about it. We have Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, Loki, Harry Potter, Tarzan, Snow White, Cinderella, Rapunzel, Jon Snow, Buddy the Elf, and so many more who all have adoption narratives. Like I said before, in this episode, we are talking about the movies Lilo and Stitch and Tangled. I believe Tangled has a negative adoption narrative, and Lilo and Stitch has a positive one. When we recorded this episode, Lauren had not seen either movie, so I personally felt that it was good to show a spectrum to start our conversation, specifically as it regards to Disney films. So feel free to stay a while, listen as we talk about adoption narratives entangled in Lilo and Stitch, and stay tuned for the next episode when we talk about adoption narratives both within Disney movies and TV shows and outside of Disney movies and TV shows. Welcome, welcome. So we're going to have you introduce yourself and what you do, and then we'll get started. Hi, my name is Lauren J. Sharkey, and thank you so much for having me here. I really appreciate it. Of course. Um, I'm a transracial adoptee writer, editor, and writing instructor. And my debut novel, Inconvenient Daughter, was published last uh, June. Woo! That is exciting. That is such a big accomplishment. Congratulations. Thank you. you. And we are here to talk about adoption narratives and parent separation narratives in Disney animated films. So I thought we would start by setting some ground rules of what we are considering to be adopted and what we are not considering to be adopted. So one thing that I was thinking of is, and this is really a harsh way to start, does being kidnapped count as adoption? So I think it depends on a lot of the circumstances surrounding the kidnapping, which is probably a problematic thing. (laughs) Um, But if you're kidnapping with the intent to extort a ransom from someone or like with the intention of returning the child Mm -hmm. to their parents, 
in exchange for some things like kidnapping for ransom, kidnapping for, I don't know, a government pardon or something like that, where you're mm -hmm. not willing to make that child part of your family. I would say no, that kidnapping does not count as adoption. I think though, okay. when you are kidnapping with the intent to make that child part of your family and then proceed to make that child part of your family, that could be considered adoption but i think at its core it would still be kidnapping more than right. adoption but for the purposes of discussion we could consider <laughs> yeah. adoption just not actually in real life right adoption. right of course of course <laughs> yeah and and i guess for those of you who are not able to picture rapunzel was kidnapped and the intention was to keep her and raise her and not let her go. So that would count as adoption, right? Yes. Hercules, yes, within our context, <laughs> not in the real world. And then Hercules was another one where he was essentially kidnapped to make mortal, but then um, abandoned. abandoned and Upon then adopted. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that could also count because technically you have two different people, one the kidnapper and then one who not rescues him from being kidnapped, but raises him after Right. Or extenuating circumstances with the right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one is a unique. <laughs> <laughs> um, and those were the two main ones. I mean, there are other ones though too. Like if you look at Guardians of the Galaxy, happens with both Peter Quill and oh, with Gamora. Yeah, he is kidnapped. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's sort of like, especially with the ending for that spoiler alert, you know. Right. <laughs> I forget what his name is. The blue guy, right? Yeah, Yondu. Yondu, yeah. Mm -hmm. and like I always considered you a son and it's just like mm -hmm. a lot of complicated feelings around there too I think if we get into like the kidnapping we also like get into like Stockholm syndrome and like mm -hmm. you know developing one. a relationship with your abductor or your mm -hmm. kidnapper that's also problematic and leads to like really complicated feelings on both the part of the kidnapper and the person who has been kidnapped. Yes. And also masculinity, at least with that story arc, I felt like was a big thing where your masculinity tells you not to show your feelings, not to express right. your feelings. And so you don't do it until one of you dies. <laughs> so that, yeah, that was a whole nother thing. But that's but also, it's interesting that you say that because that is something upon our last conversation after mm. rewatching Once Upon a Time, Mm. Emma, the main character, right. who I don't think she's necessarily an adoptee because she doesn't really find. Yeah, she does. Her. She's not adopted. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she does go from foster home to foster home, foster mm -hmm. family to foster family. She doesn't ever really find that relationship that she's looking for or that permanence that she's looking for, which yeah. also has a difficult time expressing her emotions. Yes. Until it comes to a life and death situation. You literally and every time. <laughs> Yeah. And only then is she able to express it. Yeah. How she truly feels or express her fears or even acknowledge that she's having a feeling that could almost be deemed as weakness. Yes. And that is because of the whole foster family to foster family I, and getting her feelings hurt over and over. I would also say growing up in a somewhat masculine career. Yes. Yes. Very male dominated. Yeah. Even though when we see the past where she decided to be in that career, it was a woman. 
yes job which I really like Mm -hmm. representation could mean things okay so we got that and did you have anything that we should debate about whether something is or is not considered to be an adoption trope I don't think so okay knowing that let's move forward then so again we were talking about adoption narratives and parent-child separation representation So I thought we would start with two examples, one good, one bad. And they're both movies that you said you have not seen. So I think this will be really interesting. (laughs) We're going to get your raw reaction to both. (laughs) Would you like to start with the good or the bad representation? Whichever you feel, whichever you feel. Okay. So let me, I wrote a summary, which is actually kind of long, but hopefully I did not miss anything. So we are going to... Let's start with Lilo and Stitch, only because I feel like this movie is underrated. I feel Mm -hmm. like people are not as aware of this movie, and I feel like it may not have been as advertised as other movies like a Disney princess movie would be right um, and um I only know of Lilo and Stitch from the me from like yes. Ohana means family family means no one gets left behind yes That's okay the only thing that I know that About is this movie Lilo and Stitch. gotcha okay so as I told you before this movie makes me cry didn't before I would say it, it wasn't until I had my baby that I'm like eh, give me the tissues and, and but but in a good way I would say and I would say this movie to me um having gone to school to be a social worker and work with child protective services I felt like this was not overly realistic but more realistic than what you would expect from Disney mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that's what I like about it so okay Lilo and Stitch so Dr. Jumba is an alien mad scientist Okay. And he is arrested after illegally creating an alien called Experiment 626. Experiment 626 is a small blue alien with massive strength intelligence and has a natural tendency to create chaos. <laughs> okay, right? Sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> the Grand Councilwoman, and I didn't, looking at this alien and hearing this alien's voice, I did not know this alien was a woman okay. until I watched this movie last week. <laughs> and I was like, wait, is that a woman? Or female identifying, I should say, because I don't know how aliens identify. The, so the Grand Councilwoman banishes Experiment 626 to an asteroid, but he escapes and randomly flees to Earth. So the Councilwoman sends Dr. Jumba an ancient agent, Pleakley, who is the Earth expert, alien, <laughs> to capture Experiment 626 on Earth. So mm-hmm. Experiment 626 lands in Hawaii and ends up in an animal shelter after being knocked unconscious by three trucks. Oh my god. <laughs> he's super strong, right? This um, is for yeah. just that's like the first that's like the first 10 minutes of the movie oh my goodness that's a lot (laughs) and um i would say probably like the same time somewhere else there's a young woman named nani and she's a waitress and the social worker the social worker named cobra bubbles let that sink in (laughs) cobra bubbles comes up to nani and expresses concern that she cannot take care of her younger sister lilo okay Uh, and i would say nani's probably like 20 years old okay yeah, for context. And I think he says this because Lilo is a disobedient, rambunctious, and lonely child. Things that you see throughout the entire movie. Okay. Lilo's hula classmates exclude her from literally everything. So Nani decides to take Lilo to adopt a dog from the animal shelter. So we have double adoptions going on. Okay. Wow. Lilo takes immediate interest in Experiment 626, who impersonates a dog. So 
doesn't look like an alien, looks like a dog, and renames him Stitch. So that's where you get Lilo and Stitch. Later that day, that same day, Dr. Jumba and Agent Pleakley try to capture Stitch at the restaurant that Nani works at. The aftermath results in Nani getting fired from her job. Yeah. Never good luck when you're being, I guess, assessed. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then somehow the social worker knew and shows up right after. Sees of course everything. She does. It's a he. It's a big, oh, it's he. a big black man, which we should also talk about that narrative because you don't see that often in social work. So the social worker tells Nani he will have to place Lulu in a foster family unless Nani can find another job. Oh my God. Yeah, it's intense. Like, this is a children's movie. <laughs> Not playing around. No. Not playing around. <laughs> So Nani attempts to find another job over and over and over again. And she has always turned away because the multiple times that she is looking for a job, there are unexplainable, like disastrous mishaps and aftermaths because every single time she's looking for a job, Stitch is escaping from being recaptured by Dr. Jumba and Agent Pleakley. Every single time. Like bad timing all around. Bad timing every single time. And so they're like, we can't hire you, sorry, because of, you know, this chaos. And nobody notices that there are aliens running around. It's just one second, everything is great. The next second, it's like all a disaster. So Nani's friend, David, invites everybody Nani, Lilo, and Stitch to go surfing on the beach. So they have fun. They build sandcastles. Stitch is starting to feel comfortable around them. And they all are getting close to each other. And they're all kind of starting to like each other. They're all riding on a surfboard together. And Dr. Jumba like pops out through the wave, grabs Mm -hmm. Stitch, and everybody falls off the surfboard into the water and they're like what happened we don't know and then stitch gets pulled under and he drags lilo underwater with him so nani goes down to save her and then david goes back down to get stitch and saves him and guess who shows up the social worker <laughs> of course now that I, your death <laughs> exactly so he sees that and he's like i know you mean well but if you really don't get another job soon i'm gonna have to take her away from you Everybody's upset and David tells Stitch, not knowing Stitch can actually speak and understand that he thought that Nani and Lilo had a chance at this adoption and could stay together forever. But because of Stitch, everything seems to not be working out. Now, who is Nani to Lilo? Nani is her older sister. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. And Lilo seems to me to be like somewhere, and I'm not an accurate, I'm not a good person to guess age but to me she seems like she's somewhere between like seven and ten years old i don't know how accurate that is yeah yeah let's see oh so then stitch acknowledges you know everything that he's been doing to this family so he decides to run away and by running away he is like five feet from the house (laughs) so effective yes yes they live around woods so nobody knows where he is I mean, when um, I ran away as a child, it was like running away down the block. So yeah, yeah. it's very far. We're realizing that you need money to run away. Yes. And Stitch took a book with him. So he not stole, but stole a book. Uh, it was The Ugly Duckling. And so he's like uh-huh. reading it and trying to find and comprehend what family means. And he's trying to find his family. Dr. Jumba comes up to him and says, you don't have a family. You don't belong anywhere. I made you and tries to capture stitch this leads a, down a, like a chase and a fight sequence where stitch literally runs back to the house and they fight in the house and destroy what? the entire house <laughs> but in the but right before that david ran up their street and was like hey nani i found this job opportunity for you you have to come get it now or else someone else is going to take it and so nani goes okay lilo stay here for five minutes by yourself 
don't do don't anything exactly off. and i will be right back and so she leaves so lilo is in this house by herself and all of a sudden stitch and dr Schumer comes responsible that feels exactly. like exactly yeah <laughs> and they literally blow the house up like literally it's it doesn't even exist anymore Agent Pleakley carries Lilo out of there saying the house is about to explode. We have to get you to safety. So at least he, you know, even though he's an alien, he cares about her. Exactly. And then he, um, you know, goes and hides while like the fire trucks and everything come. And and Nani got the job. The worst day. I know. I felt so bad. And I'm so hard. And she got the job, but then she saw the fire truck go and she's like, please don't go up my street. And it does. And then she starts to freak out and she runs there and guess who's there? The social worker. (laughs) I don't know how he knows where to be, right? When everything happens. Movie logic. That's. (laughs) But he's there before her and he's like, I have to take Lilo away. You're not a fit parent and they're fighting and like this is what's best for her not what's best for you and Leela runs away and so they're like where is she what happened at the same time she finds Stitch and Stitch reveals that he is not a dog that he is an alien so he has his antenna sticking out his extra legs sticking out the councilwoman sent what is it like a military captain to get Stitch instead because you know Dr. Jumba tried like five different times and he was unsuccessful in capturing Stitch And in the process of capturing Stitch, he also captures Lilo. So Lilo and Stitch are captured together. He puts them on the back of his spaceship. Stitch is able to escape. Lilo is not. And he flies off thinking that he has Stitch. Nani witnesses this and has to process the fact that aliens exist. (laughs) But also that her sister is gone and being taken by aliens. So she kind of breaks down, but also demands that Dr. Jumba and Pleakley help get Lilo back. Mm-hmm. which I liked. I liked that she had agency and she wasn't going to be like a princess and break down. Right. Um, even it's though like, she did break down. It's a male character that is going to save me from this disaster. Exactly. So her and the other aliens go on this giant like spaceship chase scene where they're like going back and forth. They're jumping back and forth between the spaceships and they're trying to get Lilo back. They're successful. And the councilwoman shows up and is like, you know, we need to take Stitch into custody. He needs to be, you know, exiled. He's dangerous. Mm-hmm. And then Stitch tells the councilwoman that he found his family with Nani and Lilo. And Lilo, exp- I thought this was funny. Too much. Lilo, Too much. <laughs> Lilo explains that under local law, Stitch is her pet. Therefore, if Stitch is taken away, that is considered stealing. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, brings the question of like pets as objects. But it's like, I don't think an alien cares about your local law policy yeah but i, I respect lilo i respect that rationalize mm-hmm. the most like logical way possible why stitch needs to stay with her mm-hmm. i'm like i think as a child you know rules are sort of what you live by and die yes by. for sure so, it makes sense to me that as a child she's like well these are the rules so mm-hmm. you better follow them yeah mm-hmm. And actually, the councilwoman is overly impressed with Stitch's ability to be empathetic and civil because he's meant to be a destructive weapon. And because of that reason and him being like, you know, Ohana means family and all this, she decrees to take back her prior decision and let him live in exile on Earth. 
instead. And Stitch will be entrusted in Lilo and Nani's care. But oh, also, guess who's there? The social worker. <laughs> For some reason. <laughs> and um, the councilwoman looks at him, the social worker, and she's like, you look really familiar. And turns out he was a former CIA agent that has worked with aliens all his life. <laughs> Of course. Yeah. And so they knew each other. And so she was like, okay, well, then I entrust that you will also look after him. So they returned their house. They rebuild it with Dr. Jumba and Agent Pleakley. So they decide to stay on Earth as well. Uh-huh. And they live happily ever after with David. So in the end credits, David is shown in all of their family <laughs> photos. Um, like building sandcastles having picnics so it's kind of assumed that nani and david get together okay and and he he just kind of pours out that he likes her like he does everything for her but he doesn't want anything been like hinted at yes yeah he's like i'm trying to get you this job because i know it's what you need hey Mm -hmm. do you need help with this like hey can i you know watch lilo for you like he does all these things and he doesn't ask for anything in return and right. some people have said he's like the best and most ideal Disney prince that someone would ever ask for. Because I think he might have asked, hey, if we live through all of this, maybe we could go out for dinner or something. Or maybe I could get your phone number <laughs> or, or other. Yeah, it's not he's not really like a, a major plot point, which I like to like. It's not it's not about his relationship, even though he shows up at the end just out of, out of the blue, you know. <laughs> So my only hang up with that is that David is in a position of power Mm. over Nani and that makes things really complicated. It makes his feelings for her complicated. Mm -hmm. It makes the way he treats her complicated Mm -hmm. and it also makes like the nature of her wanting or deciding to go out with him also complicated based on the position of power he's in regarding the situation with Lilo. So explain, I'm sure it's not presented in this way, but like social worker who's determining if you are going, Oh no, no, no. David is different. David is a friend. David was the social worker. No, no, no. no. Bubbles is the social worker. Bubbles is the social worker. Okay. (laughs) I'm sorry. No, 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 but you're right in that context. David was the social worker. No, no, no. David only shows up in like three scenes for maybe a minute. Oh, okay. So I was thinking the social worker was the one who was interested in no. that is why it was complicated for me because yes, that makes like, sense. Okay, you're determining who's good. If you're yeah. going to keep your child. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. So yeah. yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I think the fact that the social worker was called bubbles is the reason why it didn't click in my mind. Yeah, exactly. That's why I was like, his first name is Cobra. His last name is Bubbles, and he's a giant black man in Child Protective Services. And I guess for those who don't know, this is not a common thing that you see. Usually you see white women as Child Protective Services social workers, at least where I am. That's that's what I used to see as being an intern in Child Protective Services. It is an interesting trope. Also the name, I just, I wouldn't be able to take that name seriously. I know, right? I would change it for sure if yeah. it was my name. Like, I, I get it. Um, and that's your parents' preference. But... Bubbles or Cobra, but not the two of them together. Exactly. <laughs> and he always wears a suit. He looks like men in black. He's always in a black tie that suit. the aesthetic that they were going for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was a CIA agent, so I guess that makes sense. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, lots of like really complicated themes in that i think we're always so quick to judge what makes someone a fit parent 
what makes someone a good parent or a bad parent. Yes. Even in stores, you know, you see women with children constantly being scrutinized, especially mm-hmm. if the child is throwing a tantrum or mm-hmm. acting out in any sort of way. You know, there's so much judgment mm-hmm. in parenting. But where there is an excess of judgment, there is an absence of assistance, of resources. Of yes. Support. So, you know, Noni is struggling, but they are biologically related. You know, they are sisters. Mm -hmm. So why are there not resources in place that are supporting Noni while they are going through this transition, while they are trying to establish their family, while Mm -hmm. they are trying to figure this out? So that's like a really complicated layer Mm -hmm. and a narrative that's often missed and a lot of adoption-related narratives or adoption-centered narratives is the lack of resources around parents who want to parent. Yes, because we don't even know if Nani wants to be a parent, just that she wants to stay connected with her sister. Right, and I really dislike how in these narratives where there is a lack of support and where someone has to prove themselves a fit parent where the child is used as a threat, you know? Oh, yes. Okay. The child is viewed not just as a person who needs to be protected, who needs to be supportive, who needs to be safe, but as leverage. And I think that's a really problematic way to approach narratives as well. Mm -hmm. Because he said it multiple times, you need to get a job or we're taking Lilo. And I don't know how long this movie spans. Mm -hmm. It it seems like it's only a couple days. Mm -hmm. For sure, at least one day. But I don't know if it's like a week or like how fast do you expect her to get a new job? Right. And also like, I mean, anyone who's applied for a job recently knows that like, oh yeah, we'll let you know by the end of the week, three weeks from now. (laughs) You know, like... And obviously, you know, we're talking about movies is obviously not like realistic or reflective Mm. of real life, but these are real life people problems and situations that people deal with. And, you know, it's like, okay, you need to get a job to prove that you're a fit parent, Mm -hmm. but like, are we teaching you how to build your resume? Are Mm -hmm. we looking at your resume with you and showing you jobs that you might be fit for, you know, Mm -hmm. are we doing everything we can to coach you and get you that job that you need to parent this child or prove that you can parent this child? Yeah. And she lives on an Island. I feel like job opportunities are scarce. Or they're limited to, you know, working on the resorts, working in, you know, hospitality or tourism. Mm -hmm. And maybe she has other aspirations outside of that, you know, we don't know. Yeah. We don't, we don't know anything about her aside from she wants to do whatever is necessary to stay with her sister. Right, right. And like, I'm sure for the purposes of the movie, that's enough. Right. For the purposes of like discussions around adoption center narratives, we really need to look at all the facts and all the facts that are presented. And it's hard to sort of explain to a younger child what's happening in the movie and why it's That's happening. true. Yeah, and technically Lilo is the main character, not Nani, but I I feel like it's meant to have Lilo as the main character, but I kind of feel like Nani is the main character. Yeah, because it seems like her journey towards parenthood almost. Right. Whereas with Lilo, it you know, she is a lonely child and and no one seems to understand her and she feels 
outed and like she's different and then she adopts a pet and everything and it seems like it's her first real friendship yeah Um, yeah it's kind of one of those things where it's like it was meant to be this but sometimes it seems like it was actually this now is this the good adoption narrative or is the good adoption narrative? (laughs) the good and, and accurate I would say more accurate. I definitely then. think it highlights more of the struggle mm-hmm. that parents may go through, parents who wish to parent may go through in terms of highlighting the fact that there are limited resources, limited or no resources available right. to parents who wish to parent. And yes. that system is almost stacked against them. Oh, you for know, sure. The thing is that I'm sure if you ask many of the people who have seen this movie who the bad guy is, people would say it's the two minions that are trying to get Stitch back or mm-hmm. it's the commander of the aliens who has mm-hmm. issues. But really the other bad guy is the system that doesn't support parents who want to parent. Which is represented as a black man, which is also right. problematic. It's also problematic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe that's why he, he's a black man in Child Protective Services because he's supposed to look like the bad guy, which is messed up. Yeah, which is also super problematic. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I didn't think about that last one, but that is a good point to to mention in future and also super, super upsetting. Okay. Yeah, so the, sure. the, so the bad narrative is tangled and I will explain why at the end, because my summary does not explain the details that I do want to talk about. So tangled. So there's a queen, the queen of Corona, which funny times that we're in the queen of corona (laughs) is having a difficult pregnancy and the king is worried she might die in childbirth so the king sends the guards to find a magical flower that can heal any wound or illness the audience which is us discovers this golden flower has been hidden in secret for we can say a really 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 long time by a woman who is selfishly hogging the flower to maintain her youth so she's been alive for hundreds of years and she looks like she's like maybe 30. Okay. <laughs> um, oh yeah. So the, so the narrator literally says she's been alive for hundreds of years. Okay. That's where I was going. The guards are able to find the flower because of the woman's carelessness to keep the flower hidden and remain unseen. Cause she hears them coming. So she hides the flower, but then she accidentally knocks the thing, hiding the flower over while she's running away from the guards. You know, you so, think after being alive hundreds of years, you would keep your, mm-hmm. your stuff locked up a little mm-hmm. more secure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The guards find the flower, they uproot the flower, and the queen drinks the flower. Okay. Okay. So the flower is no longer, the flower mm-hmm. doesn't exist. Later, a princess is born and she has blonde hair. And we can put two and two together that the golden flower gave her blonde hair. Golden hair. Because both parents are brunette. Not okay. saying that that doesn't mean that it's not possible, but genetically speaking, it's not likely. So the flower was golden and there were yellow beaming powers that came out of the flower whenever you used its power. So we can assume, you know, that's where the hair came from. The woman who is hogging the golden flower kidnaps the princess, thinking the princess is basically the flower. And she's not technically wrong. We, as the viewers, discover that the princess's hair heals any and all wounds and cures any illness and brings this woman her youth. Okay. But as the woman discovers, if you cut the princess's hair, because she was going to cut the hair and take it with her, if you cut the hair, the magic goes away. Okay. Hence the kidnapping. Okay. Yes. So that is the first five minutes of the movie. (laughs) 
lot to digest. <laughs> yes. Five minutes. <laughs> yes. So then 18 years later, the kidnapped princess named Rapunzel, which I don't know who gave her the name. Rapunzel lives in a tower because her mother, who's the kidnapper, named Mother Gothel, says people will try to kidnap her and steal her hair to use its magical properties for selfish desires, which is literally what she's doing. <laughs> Other people will catch on to what I am doing and then do that. Okay. Yes. Got it. Yes. So Rapunzel says that she wants to leave the tower and see the glowing lights that appear every year on her birthday. Mother Gothel sings the song Mother Knows Best, explaining all the awful things in the world to convince her not to want to leave the tower. Okay. The day before her 18th birthday, a thief named Flynn Rider comes to the tower to find refuge from being chased by palace guards and is knocked out by Rapunzel in her frying pan. Rapunzel blackmails him to take her to see these lanterns or these glowing lights that happen in the sky every year on her birthday, which we later discover is a tradition the kingdom does to mourn the princess's kidnapping. Okay. Which Rapunzel doesn't know about. So like, this is already falling apart for me. <laughs> okay, so she is close enough to know about this lantern tradition. Not the whole story. She doesn't know the tradition. She just yeah. knows that there are lights that appear every yeah. year. She, she's close enough to know that like there's lanterns to be seen mm -hmm. each year. Mm -hmm. she's close enough that these two guards are chasing this dude, but they couldn't find her. Yeah, like, it's like, there's like, a, there's like, uh, what is it called? like the ivy or something it like covers the entrance oh, man yeah and then you like go they, through that cave and it's like with that tower yeah it's like you guys like couldn't scour the the earth for the princess like you guys couldn't find her like come on <laughs> yeah i don't even know how she would have hid the baby until she found the tower yeah, and it's like, girlfriend, you never thought to leave before then? Like, but that yes. aside, I, I get it for the yes. purposes of the movie, for sure. Yes, and um, I will explain how Mother Gothel treats her and what she says to her later to convince her not to want to leave. Let's see. Yeah, so she has mixed feelings about leaving, but she's like, you know, you will take me or you will not get your precious satchel with whatever you stole in it back. Okay. So he's like, fine. You shouldn't trust me. I'm, you know, a thief, but <laughs> let's go anyway. And so he, he jumps out of the tower. She lets her hair down. They, you know, she touches the ground for the first time. She sings a happy song about how she gets to experience the world outside the tower, even though she does look out the window. Um, oh, <laughs> then Rapunzel goes through this, this back and forth phase of, yay, I finally left. I'm never going back to then, oh, I'm such a horrible, despicable person for not obeying my mother's rules to like, not yay. even like, a note, you mm -hmm. know, like she didn't leave a note. No. Yeah. Like assuming yeah. that this is as far as Rapunzel knows, this is her mother. Right. Right. And they love so, each other like, very much. Do not let your mother know where you're going or that you're going to be safe. Like she just sort of straight up left. And like, yeah, the fact that she's leaving and saying, oh, I'm never going back. Like, you're just going to do that to your mom. Yeah. And I will say maybe the note didn't happen because she asked her mom this, you know, like, Hey, this is what I want for my birthday. Right. And, and mother said, no. was like, right. And then she asked for something else. Mm -hmm. And her mother was like, well, this will take me three days to get it. Okay. And so then she went on that journey of leaving, like right before Flynn Rider came. Right. So maybe and she was assuming she would be back before then. 
I don't and know. as someone who was definitely not like the easiest teenager growing up, <laughs> you know, like I definitely lied to my mother, you know, didn't tell her where I was going or who I was with, didn't always let her know my location. And I did run away for a period of time and did not tell her where I was going. Mm-hmm. So I guess like maybe I'm looking at this at the lens through the lens of someone who is older and wiser mm. now, not so much wiser, but a little wiser, but I, I don't know, I guess maybe it's been a long time since I've been 18 also, but like, I just find Rapunzel's behavior like really troubling and mm-hmm. that she is saying like, oh, I'll never go back. And it's like, well, is that how you really feel? And would you feel really good about the way you left? And it is a whole sequence of back and forth where she's like super happy, swinging on her hair to crying and feeling miserable and curled up in a ball. And it just goes I mean, back and forth, back and forth. Experience, I don't know what is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's the only reason why I think it's humorous is because Flynn Rider has to experience all of that. And he just looks so annoyed. he's like he finally comes up to her he's like so I don't want to eavesdrop or anything but I'm I'm catching some vibes here that maybe this you know you're feeling this but you're also feeling this and you know we need to navigate that yeah for sure all he wants is he just wants his satchel with the thing that he stole you know he's like can we just get on with the show like let's go like I literally want to be rude of you as fast yes. as I can yes <laughs> how do I make that happen yeah I think that makes it entertaining but yes when you look at it on a deeper level there are definitely things there for sure and Flynn Rider tries to make her want to go back sooner and not make it to the castle exactly so he tries to avoid having to actually make it to the castle because also the palace guards are after him right Um, so he takes her to this uh was it the the duckling something duckling restaurant or the ugly, ugly duckling, duckling a recurring theme yeah here. yeah <laughs> and it's a pub with only ruffians thugs etc sounds like and, my kind of place <laughs> yeah he's like i hope this will scare her into wanting to go home but then she's like now she's the other side of things exactly the extreme opposite that her mother told her about and right. the funny thing is is rapunzel's like don't you all have a dream and then they all sing together with her about what their dream is and so then they all love her and they're like we're best friends now and Flynn Rider <laughs> looks even more annoyed <laughs> than before He's like I literally want to leave this party and I can't yeah but then they're chased so the guards find the pub because they're like this is where we heard Flynn Rider was so then they go through this underground tunnel and they go on this chase and there's a horse who it's kind of like a acts like a dog but is more like a person because he understands everything and he can fight with a sword even though he's a horse yeah interesting things and then they get stuck so while they're running away there's this giant like cascade of water that pours out on accident and they try to escape through this tunnel that they think is open but actually it's a dead end and so then they get trapped in there and it fills up with water and she's like oh wait i have glowing magical hair so she sings sings her song to make her hair start to glow and and cure any illness and it lights up the room so that they can see where to try and escape through Mm -hmm. so they escape through it and then 
Flynn Rider freaks out because he's like, not only does she have all these mixed emotions, but she has glowing hair. Why? <laughs> what does that mean? Like, how do I meet these people? <laughs> yeah, he's like, how do I get away from her? And they start to open up to each other because they had a near-death experience in that tense. Of course, end, of right? course. Now that we have shared trauma. Exactly. Now- yes. So she says, you know, this is my magical glowing hair and it's this long because if I cut it, then the magic goes away. Well, I've always been in a tower because my mom thinks that people would try to steal it for their own selfish desires. And then he, his response or not response, but he says, my real name is Eugene. And that's his big dark secret because he was an orphan. He was in a foster home and he just thought if I pretended to be somebody who was this heroic or adventurous, whatever, then I could escape my sad reality of no one liking me. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So you can kind of see him opening up a little. Then he goes to get firewood and mother Gothel appears because turn back time, she found the palace guards. And so she was like, oh my God, what if they found Rapunzel? Mm-hmm. So she turns back from her three-day journey, goes to the tower, Rapunzel's not there, mm-hmm. and then goes on this giant hunt to find her, finds her there, brings the satchel with her, and what does she say? So she, oh, this is what I wrote. She confronts Rapunzel, tries to gaslight her into going home with her, and Rapunzel says no. So Mother Gothel starts to plot to make Rapunzel want to go home on her own. So she's like, okay, fine. Mother knows best, but you're not going to listen. So I'm just going to leave and you're going to discover how awful the world is. Like I kept telling you and you're going to come running home to me. And I'm going to say, I told you so. Sounds like a typical mom. (laughs) Yeah. But then she plus to make it that way. Um, Rapunzel and Flynn Rider go to the kingdom to see the lanterns. They have this romantic song about how they're starting to fall in love with each other while they're seeing all the paper lanterns around them in the middle of this lake. They had danced together before and all these other things. So it's like a whole montage of them getting closer and they are forcefully separated. I say forceful. I think it's forceful by Mother Gothel's plan that she made with thieving twin brothers who wanted revenge on Flynn Rider. So she brought them in and was like, hey, you're going to do this. I'm going to do this. And then we will separate them and I will get what I want. You will get what you want. So Mother Gothel and the thieves frame Flynn Rider to appear to have traded Rapunzel and her magic hair for golden jewels. Not Mother a great Gothel, look. <laughs> yes. And Mother Gothel knocks out the thieves to pretend to be the savior who rescues Rapunzel. Of course. <laughs> yes. So then they go home and Mother Gothel comforts her. So she, you know, she's pretending to be the heart that she had a hand in breaking. Yes. So she's trying to be the mother who makes everything better. Rapunzel is just kind of sitting in her room looking at things. And then she, I don't know how, but she somehow just realizes out of nowhere that she is the lost princess. <laughs> like she's looking at every the last 20 minutes yes. of the movie so yes. we gotta wrap things up yes because she took a flag from the kingdom which is the image of the sun and then she looks around her room and she has all these paintings that she did where there's that exact same sun symbol oh, in, in everything that she draws mm-hmm. but it's like she was taken as a baby like she couldn't even talk yet or mm-hmm. or walk or crawl or anything so I was like I don't know how that's pieced together but somehow it was and then she remembered being in the crib with the thing above and it had the suns and everything and she like saw the image of her parents which I also don't know because I can't even remember anything before like the age of seven then she confronts Mother Gothel about it 
she says, you know, were you the one who kidnapped me to steal my power? And were you the person that I'm supposed to be running away from? But yeah, I've been living with you the past 18 years of my life. And so then she says, you know, I'm going to leave this tower and I'm leaving you by. And so the mother Gothel says, fine, you want me to be the bad guy? I'll be the bad guy and attacks her. Uh, and then, yes. <laughs> Like I said, not a good narrative. And then we change scenes to Flynn Rider. He was captured by the guards and he was going to have his head chopped off. But then the ruffians saved him and we're like, you know, you got to go and save Rapunzel. So he, now we're friends. Now yes. We're- yes. You're friends with her. So we're friends with you. So he rushes off on the horse to go find the tower. He gets up to the tower. He sees Rapunzel's tied up and he's like, what's going on? And then Mother Gothel stabs him. Oh my God. So what? Yes. Oh my and, God. What? And for me, the worst part is that she starts to drag Rapunzel away all tied up because she has this like door in the floor that opens to a staircase that goes all the way down through the tower. So you don't have to like use her hair to get down. So she starts dragging Rapunzel while Rapunzel is watching her first and only friend and the love of her life die. Oh my God. It's so traumatic. And you know what she says? She says, enough. This is ridiculous. Stop fighting me. Let's go. Like it's nothing, which is so messed up. So Rapunzel says, I will never stop fighting. I will always try and run away unless you let me heal him. And then we can live together forever like we had before. Uh, I also don't want that. Yeah, which is also problematic. But Mother Gossel says, okay. So Rapunzel goes up to Flynn Rider and she's like, let me heal you. And he says, no, I don't want you to use your hair on me. I want you to be able to live a happy life. And so he says, come closer. I want to say something to you. And then he cuts all of her hair off. Oh then, my god. So then all That's of her also problematic though. Yes. So all of her hair turns brown and all of her hair loses its magic. And so Mother Gothel starts to age up to what she would be today if she didn't have all of that magic. So she basically turns to dust. So much. Yeah. So she turns to dust and she dies. Yeah. So she falls out of the tower to her death. And then, yeah, her bones turn to dust because she's hundreds and hundreds of years old. And and then Flynn Rider dies. Oh my God. (laughs) And so Rapunzel is crying and, you know, mourning him. But then... One of her tears falls on him and her tears heal him. Oh my God. This is just like a lot. <laughs> like this I told you, it's lot. bad. He takes her to her biological parents, the king and queen, and they have a really emotional, especially the father, which was an, a nice, one nice thing. So the father was particularly emotional about reuniting with her. And okay. they invite Flynn Rider into the family and they all live happily ever after. They say that they end up getting married years later and, you know, things like that. The TV show does also show this, but it has a, a different trope. And then one thing I liked about the TV show was that Flynn Rider struggles to ask her to marry him, even though it's implied in the movie that he did. Okay. And she says no multiple times. And he questions why. And all of his friends and her friends are like, well... You're asking someone who has lived in a tower their whole life, who wants to be free to basically be chained to you and not be free anymore. So I think that explains why she says no, but she still wants to be with you. She just doesn't want to be pinned down to marriage. I think that has so many, there's so many things to unpack there about like what 
her understanding of marriage is or her expectations of marriage are lack of communication between the two of them definitely for sure Mm -hmm. but also like there are so many one of the things that I don't think gets discussed enough in Disney films is the nature the abusive nature of some of the villains and heroes that Mm. are presented in Disney films Mm -hmm. the coercive manipulative gaslighting nature those are all really abusive behaviors Mm -hmm. you know but they're never framed as abuse in Disney correct they're just framed as this is what I need to do to get what I want these are things that are employed by villains to do what they need to do or these are things employed by heroes to defeat the bad guy so the ends always justify the means when it comes to these behaviors and I think something that's also not discussed in adoption or at least not that I've seen is I don't know if there's actually any research on whether or not adoptees are more likely to find themselves in abusive relationships oh that would be interesting to see It would be interesting to see because I myself am a domestic violence survivor and I do feel looking back that my my difficulty reconciling my adoptiehood was a contributing factor Mm. to me not only finding myself in an abusive relationship but staying in an abusive relationship for a period Mm. of time. So I think like, especially with Mother Gothel being so abusive, Mm -hmm. so manipulative. And I didn't even tell you everything about her. Like really, you know, especially like the sort of like sly way of telling Rapunzel the truth about what's going on without actually telling her the truth. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, some people might do this. Some people might kidnap you. And like, I'm doing this for your protection. Mm -hmm. not to protect what I already have stolen. Mm -hmm. So that like manipulative nature, like you can even see it playing out in that sequence that you talked about where she's flip-flopping back and forth. The reason she's flip-flopping back and forth is because she's been manipulated her whole life and doesn't really know how to feel about anything that she's experienced. That's a good point. So it's no wonder because there are so many domestic violence survivors like myself included who are like, should I stay? Should I go? Like, no, the right thing is to leave, but I don't know how to leave. And Mm -hmm. I don't know how to stay gone once I am gone. If anything, Rapunzel is an abuse victim. Mm -hmm. And I totally understand her not wanting to get married or having reservations about getting married Mm -hmm. because of what that implies. You know, I struggle. I've been with my partner for 10 years now. And there are days where, you know, I struggle, like, is this person who I think they are? Is this person Mm -hmm. the right person for me? Is this person going to end up leaving me or end up hurting me or, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever. So like really Rapunzel has like a lot of trauma that she's mm-hmm. that's not even really addressed in the movie. For sure. So not addressed that she's an abuse victim. It's not addressed that like the repressed memories that she has with the sun and the mobile over her crib. Mm-hmm. I mean, I personally cannot remember anything from my infancy. So I find it really interesting when people are able to recall those memories and mm-hmm. have them. I think that's really special, but it's not something I've ever experienced. Yeah, same. Um, But it seems like a lot of things were planted in this movie for convenience of plot. 
Mm, not necessarily ability. Yeah. And and people have mentioned there are certain things that you don't necessarily see the first time, but when you read it, you're like, oh yeah, that is, that did happen. Like mother Gothel, her nickname for Rapunzel is my flower, but it's referring to the flower for youth, but Rapunzel doesn't know that. And it's like, do you really love me? Do you really care about me? Mm -hmm. Like, am I really the thing that you value most? I think it's also problematic that Flynn cuts her hair. Yes. And I didn't even think about it until your reaction. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I really have an issue with that. Like I get the intent behind it. He wants her to have her own life, but like you chose it for her. Right. Like, and it was very dramatic when you watch that scene. It's super dramatic and it's all slow motion. It's tied to her identity, mm-hmm. you know? Like it really, like it is so problematic to me that he he takes it upon himself to do it for her. Right. Truly, I am just like floored that. And then like, he saves the day because of it. Yeah. And it's just like, you took away her agency. You took away like any ability she had to make a choice about what she wants and how mm-hmm. she wants it. And that is like really problematic to me. But she gets it back in the TV show. So <laughs> you can always watch that. Yeah, it's super weird. It's super weird to me that no one saw an issue with that in the development of the film. Yeah. Because, well, yeah, there might have been, but maybe because. Red flag for yeah. me. The fact that, like, oh, it's totally okay that we take cut all of her hair off. Agency. Well, and the other things I wrote down that were specifically about Mother Gothel and Rapunzel's relationship was Mother Gothel always gaslights Rapunzel. She victimizes herself. So whenever Rapunzel tries to blame her Mother Gothel for something, she will turn it on her and make it seem like Rapunzel is the one in fault and that she is the victim. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, like I said, she calls her her flower and she pats and kisses Rapunzel's hair, not her forehead, not her cheek. And it seems like she kind of talks at the hair, not necessarily Rapunzel herself. You can kind of see like, you know, her feelings about that. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't know. It's strange to me. Like, I don't know what's worse. I don't know if it's worse that you've been kept in a tower your whole life and think that your captor is your mother. Or is it worse to just be captive in a tower, have no interaction and not really know why? Like, why did you have to bring the mother piece into it? Why couldn't she have just been a prisoner? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that happens in other movies where we've seen like a person's been in prison for like their whole lives and they're like, why is this happening to me? Mm -hmm. I don't know why this has been done to me. You know, like, why did you have to step into a mother role? Like, why couldn't it just be... Yeah. Maybe it was because she didn't know any any better or like anything else. And the mm-hmm. idea of a mother is seems like it seems more like natural. Yeah. And I mean the whole intro song is Rapunzel telling us what she does every day of her life. <laughs> she makes candles, she cooks, she reads books, she does like ventriloquy stuff. Oh she like makes clothes for her pet chameleon she like does literally everything you could possibly do in a in a tower by yourself (laughs) and then she repeats the process she makes like she bakes like a billion pies and so mother gothel gives her 
you know, as much as there is to do in a tower, you know, it gives her all this food to make things with or like crafts. It gives her all this paint and she paints the entire inside of the tower. Every single like wall space is just covered in paint. I mean, it it is a lot of domestic stuff, of course, which is also problematic, but it's like, absolutely. at least she did give her things to do. So she wouldn't feel like a prisoner, I would say. Mm -hmm. See, I like, thankfully I've never been in a position that I've had to decide whether or not I would like to be a prisoner, but like, I would almost rather, I wouldn't want the complication of feeling like my mother is my captor. Mm. I would rather have my reality be that I am a prisoner and that it's not my mother who's doing this to me. Right, because then you have to be my mother doing this to me. Yeah, because then there's emotional conflict, and it's yeah. like, if you had to attack her, would you? Because you think right. of her as a mother. Yeah, there's right. a lot of things for sure. So yeah, that is a terrible adoption narrative for mm-hmm. sure. Would you think that it would be triggering to watch that movie? I mean, thinking about it now, it just seems like it's so such a ridiculous movie that it probably wouldn't be triggering for me to watch it. I don't know. I almost do want to watch it just because I'm interested to see just how overt the abuse is, to see how intense it is and how obvious it is. Mm-hmm. I think that what this does And I know we talked about this earlier, but adoption is rarely the center of the character's identity Mm -hmm. in movies. Right. It's not so much about Rapunzel as an adoptee, whether it be through kidnapping or other situation, but it's about her journey to freedom, you know? And the adoption aspect is almost not even really acknowledged, even if it is. It's like, okay, you're not my real mom. We have to go to the next plot point. I think that's really why so many people who are not adopted have such issue with adoptees speaking out about their experiences with adoption, especially when those experiences challenge the dominant adoption narrative, because in all the media they've seen around adoption, adoption is not a point of contention, so to speak, Mm. with adoptees when presented in popular media. Yes, I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. Which is also messed up, but... Yeah, for sure. Like, they have this emotional reunion when being reunited, Rapunzel and her biological family, but, like, does she mourn the loss of Mother Gothel? Even though Mother Gothel is abusive, even though Mother Gothel has lied to her. She still loved her. has been her mother for 18 Mm. years. Yeah. So I can only speak for myself, but, like, I can imagine that despite all the horrific things that might have been done to me during those 18 years, I would still feel an immense amount of loss. Yes. That's your whole life. Yeah. And conflict and anger and just, you know, so many feelings Mm -hmm. I would feel as a result of that, that I'm sure is not even acknowledged or touched upon. Nope. She's just a happy go lucky teenager. Yeah, it's like, okay, I've got my quote unquote real family now. So now everything is fine. But, and that's another thing that's an issue with adoption narratives is that they typically center around reunion or they usually center around reunion or around the adoptive parent's journey to adopting. Yes. And you know, they're always accompanied by music and tears and slow motion and everything. And it's built up to be 
this emotionally positive event, but there's always adoptees lose so much throughout the course of adoption. Mm. But I think I'm not in reunion and I've, I have no plans to be in reunion, but, and I can't speak for anyone in reunion, but Mm -hmm. I can imagine that if I were to find my biological family, one of the things that would really be impressed upon me would be how much time we as a family lost having each other in each other's lives. Yes, I would agree with that. And it's like, is Rapunzel even feeling that loss? Does she even realize that she has spent 18 years with someone who is not her mother, but she has lost 18 years with her parents? Mm -hmm. You know, is that even a consideration? Is that even a motivation? Is that even up for discussion? You know, I feel like that needs to be acknowledged. Yes. And to piggyback off that, that reminded me of, I don't know if you've seen The Lion King 2. I have not. Okay. The Lion King 2, I mentioned it in one of my previous episodes, but basically The Lion King 2 is about Simba's daughter and how she wants to be just like him, like how he was when he was a kid, where he wants to be Oh, girl, everywhere. you better see the first movie before you, you yeah. sign on for that. <laughs> and the issue becomes, or not issue, but somewhat issue, is that she runs into this lion and they fall in love and he looks just like Scar. Ooh, okay. And every All time right. Simba sees him, even though he's not Scar, he is triggered and goes through this traumatic revisiting of the past. Right. Um, I mean, it's not like so much, but it's enough that I remember it as an adult, <laughs> having watched it as a child over and over. So there's that trope of, you know, like, yes, you two love each other, but, but- also he represents someone who emotionally traumatized me. And mm-hmm. how do I overcome him sleeping in our family's den and growing up and being a part of our family when he's smiling what he means to you? Exactly. And you find out that lion actually is Scar's son, oh my gosh. which makes it even worse. <laughs> and so there's this whole ideas of like, is it genetic to be evil? And you know, oh. is that does that run in the family? Like, what are your real intentions? Or like and... projecting your own trauma onto someone. Exactly, which I do think he does. I, I haven't watched it recently to to know for sure, but I, I'm pretty sure he does. You know, it's so funny, not funny, but my boyfriend, he got this saying online where it's like adoption land is sort of like a big drive-in theater where everyone is projecting from their own car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's true. And how often we allow our trauma to traumatize other people. Yes. You know, and it's so interesting that public perception doesn't view adoptees as a traumatized community. Right. And I think that's reinforced by narratives in movies like these that don't depict the full scope of the traumatization we experience as a community. Yes, for sure. And I don't even know what an authentic adoption narrative would look like in a Disney film. Oh, you know, I don't, yeah, I don't really know if it could happen as a Disney film, because like, I just don't know if they're up for the challenge of trying to depict that and depict it well and authentically. I think that's something that they should aspire to do. Right. 
corner. But I think like that sort of needs to be the question we're asking ourselves is like, okay, now that we know that these aren't accurate portrayals, what do we do to portray adoption accurately? Yeah. Well, and I think there would have to be multiple movies, right? Because there would have to be one where you don't want to find and you don't care about reuniting with birth parents. There would have to be one where you are living and interacting with both adoptive and birth parents, right? There would have to be so many. Like that would be (laughs) crazy. And they certainly have the money to do it. (laughs) Yes. Disney, if you're listening, give us a call. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be on the consulting team. We would totally, for the right price, we would totally be on the consulting team. (laughs) But, you know, I think that's something we definitely need to ask ourselves is how can we portray adoption more accurately and authentically Mm -hmm. to reflect the experience that hasn't been acknowledged? Because there are adoptees out there Every adoptee journey is different and every adoptee journey is unique to that specific adoptee. Right. I'm sure there are adoptees out there who do not, who do not identify as traumatized, who do not identify as, you know, struggling with their identity or with their adoption. Mm -hmm. And that's valid. Right. But I feel like the dominant adoption narrative has given voice to those narratives so much. Mm -hmm. And now it's time for those of us with narratives outside of that to be Mm -hmm. represented as well. Yes, for sure. Hey everyone, it's me, Katie, again. I hope you like this episode and either learn something new or have something new to ponder and question. I included Lauren's Instagram handle and link to her book in the description. Be sure to check it out. If you're looking for a new podcast and want to learn more about diverse adoption narratives, please check out the John Chi Show podcast, spelled J-A-N- C-H-I. Both Lauren and I have been guests on the podcast sharing our own adoption stories and experiences. The three hosts are also adoptees. In each episode, they have a new guest and share adoption stories with listeners. They also have a fun segment, Tasting and Reviewing Korean Snacks. (laughs) Something I wish I included in my own podcast. (laughs) Uh, But you can find them on most all podcast platforms. If you like the podcast and are on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave a rating. If there's a topic related to Disney you haven't heard anywhere else and are looking for a deep dive on the topic, please DM the podcast on Instagram at www.ofdisvillains or on the website www.wonderfulworldofdisneyvillains.com. I'll include links to both in the description. And of course, you can find me, Katie, on Instagram at disvillainscholar. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.